Hi, this is comedian Christian Finnegan, and you are listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Stuart Huff. If you told me, write some jokes on Donald Trump, I, would, I mean, it would, it would be a, a huge process for me. I don't write jokes easily. I have to, you know, really work hard at writing jokes. My natural writing style is big philosophical story. We hear more from Stuart in just a bit. Our song of the week is from Eliza the Bear. I think we're really going to enjoy this tune. But first, a little uh, a little dumb bit we call I Thought It Was Funny involving Donald Trump and the wall between the U.S. and Mexico, or the proposed wall between the U.S. and Mexico. Have a listen, won't you? It's time for another installment of I Thought It Was Funny. Of course, one of the big controversies this week was the Pope was down on the Mexican border, and he uh, intimated that maybe Donald Trump wasn't a very Christian kind of fellow because he uh, wanted to build a wall along the border. I don't think he actually said Trump's name uh, specifically, but he said anyone that would build a wall is not a Christian, and we all know who that means. Well, because Donald Trump says stuff like this. We've spent last year $113 billion on illegal immigrants. We have to do something about it. And we have to start by building a wall, a big, beautiful, powerful wall. And uh, actually, Trump is on to something, but not in the way you might think. Uh, we do need a wall, but we need a wall for this reason. Meanwhile, tonight, a very large Indianapolis employer is now deciding to pack up and is taking its manufacturing facility to Mexico. The carrier company employs about 1,400 people at its west side air conditioning, ventilating, and heating plant. UTEC employs about 800 people. The global company manufactures microprocessor-based controls for the heating, ventilating, air conditioning, and refrigeration industry. The manufacturing plant is moving to Monterey, Mexico. What happened was after that last pickup truck rolled off the assembly line at around lunchtime today, the workers were told to pack up the remaining pickup truck parts and ship them off to Chrysler's other pickup truck plant in Mexico. So you see, we don't need a wall to keep workers from Mexico from coming in. We need a wall to keep our employers from going to Mexico. I thought it was funny. In a rather dark sort of way, of course. This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Stuart Huff is a stand-up comedian originally from Campbellsville, Kentucky. He now makes his home in Athens, GA, and usually considered a musical town. But Stuart's there. He's very funny. Here now is our interview with Stuart Huff. So um, I'll welcome you in officially. Uh, joining us on uh, PS Tape Recorder, it's Stuart Huff. Stuart, how you doing? I am good. I uh, just uh, I'm home today. So. Oh, good. And yeah, home good. is home is Cold. where? It's in the uh, Georgia, the Carolinas. I can't remember. Athens, Athens, Georgia. Athens, yeah. GA. That's right. Okay, yeah. Um, Tom Simmons is in North Carolina, I think, isn't he? 
Where is he? I'm all confused. I did. I lived in North Carolina for a little bit, but it was a long time ago. Okay. Went to, went to college there, and right outside of Asheville. Okay. So I guess the yeah. um, the uh, for, for so I'm a man of a certain age. So I guess my uh, the obvious question now to ask you is: Do you know REM or the B52s? <laughs> uh, no, not not in the traditional definition of know them, you know. But um, there, I don't know about the B fifty twos at all. But REM is pretty. They all still live here in yeah. town, and um, and especially the the guitarist and uh, is pretty pretty active in like the art museum in town. Uh, the a couple of art art. Uh, openings that I've been to, I've, you know, met him, people introduced me, and he donates okay. money to a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, things around town, so he's, he's a cool guy, it seems like. Cool, and are you from Athens originally? I don't remember. No, um, I'm from Kentucky originally. Oh, I, that's right. You know, moved here, um, and pretty much for a girl, you know. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's not a bad place to be. She, no. Yeah, it's you know it's kind of a weird town because when the when the school is in it, the population triples. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's just such an enormous school. So. So, what part of Kentucky are you from? Uh, Campbellsville, Kentucky, is where I was born. I've which heard is, of that. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I'm in Cincinnati, so I, I've I, where's why have I I've gone by the exit for Campbellsville. I'm certain at some point or. Yeah, it's um, it's a real small town. Um, it's uh, kind of it's not really near an interstate, but there's a that Kentucky highway goes through there. Okay, it's if you're in Louisville and you literally go straight down. To yeah, the, uh, you know, straight south from Louisville. Okay, about an hour. You know, it's kind of close to the Tennessee border. Okay, you know, right. yeah. So now, as I recall, when we, we talked for City Beat, you actually started out um, wanting to be a, a writer of short stories. Wasn't that your first artistic pursuit? Yeah, I and I, I mean, I didn't really pursue it. You know, I just that's what I was actually writing stories, but way too insecure to actually show them to anybody or even tell anybody that that was my goal. You know, so. Uh, no one, still to this day, no one's ever actually read any of my short stories except for me. Uh-huh. And, you know, so yeah, I was writing short stories in college and, uh, and in high school also. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be, a, I wanted to write, you know. I think I was just, just way too scared, way too insecure of a person to actually pursue anything at all in that direction. So, but how, so how did you wind up uh, getting into comedy then? Yeah, it's very weird. Um, I, you know, I was, I've always liked it, I guess. I never thought I would like to do it, but I've always liked comedy. And I, I was a fan of like Bob Newhart and Lenny Bruce and a lot of comics from the 60s. I really liked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, they had an open mic and I just decided, I read about it somewhere, I saw it, I don't even know how I found out about it, but I just decided I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to go up and tell one of my stories was the plan. And, oh, okay. you know, 
and, and which I did. I went up and told one of my stories. I'd never been on stage before. I was scared to death, and it went horribly. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was horrible. As these things are, are want to do uh, sometimes. Then other guys go up there and they're like, "Oh, I was right at home the first time." It's just really strange how that happens. Yeah, it's very. I don't know. It's very strange. I think it helps. Of course, it helps if you have some kind of acting experience or, you know, or something like that. And especially, I think a really good idea if you want to be a comedian is get a job at a comedy club. You know. Oh yeah. That that kind of thing just familiarizes yourself with the the whole process and all that. And you know, I've I had never even been inside of a comedy club. First time I went into a club was to sign up to go up. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, I'd never been on stage before. Plus, I was, you know I was a very shy, quiet, insecure person. Uh, so not, my personality cer- certainly wasn't going to, you know, help me out in any shape or form. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you kept going. So, I mean, what, what was the impetus to keep going, or did you? Was it like in fits and starts, and you kind of waited to go back up again, or how did that uh, come about? Uh, I, it's, I, it's very hard to explain really because I, it was horrible. I mean, I, I did not get one laugh. Um, there was nothing good about the first time I went on stage. I got no laughs. I was physically hated it. Um, the other comics would not, no one talked to me. Oh. Um, it was a horrific experience all the way <laughs> around, but I loved it. I just don't know why. The, the whole concept of saying words into a microphone and I mean I, they that audience told me I sucked <laughs> immediately yeah <laughs> you know and they were right too they were absolutely right you know I wasn't wasn't any good I I just loved it I so I started uh, I just kept doing it you know and, and I and I got kind of upset, uh, obsessed with it I just you know, and with that, just that in particular, with that strange idea of saying words into a microphone in front of strangers, I, I don't know why, but that's the way I was looking at it. You know, it was very strange. And I didn't get a laugh. Probably first 10 times on stage, I got no laughs. You know, I, there was no reason to keep going, but I yeah. just kept kept going. <laughs> well, you said you were telling your stories. Uh, were these, you would take your short stories and try to punch them up with laughs or were they funny short stories to begin with or did you kind of move away from that as you kept going up and just trying to do more like traditional stuff yeah I, I think looking back on it and this is all just looking back I had no clue I was so lost at the beginning um, there were multiple problems I had to me stand up comedy was 60s 1960s 1950s 60s 70s oh yeah I didn't know who Dave Attell was I didn't know who any any of the new uh, comedians. I didn't watch television. I didn't know any of them. So I kind of expected like Bob Newhart, you know, like that type of comedy. And uh, that's not what comedy is anymore. And um, so I, I had, it took me a while to even realize, wait a minute, you know, the types of what I, my definition of stand-up comedy is not what it is now, you know? So that was a big problem. And I went in there telling stories. I had four minutes or whatever it was, and I would tell one story in four minutes. And that's a horrible idea for an open mic, you know? 
oh yeah yeah because if it doesn't work you're dead you know and if it does work yeah. you're a genius but that's you know that's the it's like tv sets yeah. are like that too i guess though guys say because you know gary goldman did that thing a couple of months ago where he went up with just that one story about how him and his girlfriend role play he's the college professor and that was the whole bit and if the audience didn't buy it that was he was gonna be up there to five minutes of silence on national tv yeah yeah i mean that's the the thing about storytelling is it's you know to me it's i don't i don't want to call it harder than joke telling but it joke telling is safer as far as that, because you can't just stop a story and go, well, that's enough of that, and then go yeah. into something else. <laughs> you got to finish it, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are you still doing a lot of stories uh, on stage these days? Yeah, I think I've always. I don't think I've. If you told me write some jokes on Donald Trump, I, w- I mean, it would it would be a, a huge process for me. I don't write jokes easily. I have to you know, really work hard at writing jokes. My natural writing style is big philosophical story, like point of view stuff. And then I have to find what's funny about this, you know, but yeah, it's not, but when, you know, nowadays it doesn't feel storytelling. It feels more like jokes just because I've learned how to hide it, you know? Yeah, um, and but could you, let's say okay, someone came to you and said write a joke about Donald Trump. Of course, that would be a, a challenge. Could you do something if someone said, imagine what a Trump presidency would be like, and kind of gave you a, an arc to pursue? Could could you do something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's probably what, the way I would approach it. If someone said, I want you to write ten jokes on Donald Trump, I would probably write an entire thing and then pick right. ten funny parts and give them those funny parts. You know? Yeah. And uh, the short story thing you've to this day have haven't gone back to try and get anything published or anything, even though you're a, a successful headlining comedian who gets immediate, you know, positive feedback most nights. I would assume, uh, but still haven't gotten the, the short stories out there. No, nope, never have. Hmm. I, you know, I still write them sometimes. I was going to um, say, yeah, yeah, just personal, just you know, just for myself, but. You know, I did last year, I met a, a publisher and and he mentioned, you know, writing something. So I, it's kind of in my head now. Maybe I could do something, put something together, you know. Yeah. I mean, it'd, be, it's, it's still, it'd still be kind of neat. But I think, I think all those years ago, back in high school, I think what I really wanted was just not to work at a desk and, you know, work a corporate job. I think that's really what I wanted. Uh-huh. And I just didn't know writing was certainly not that, so let me just do that, you know? Yeah. So in in college, did you majored in writing then? You didn't, it wasn't like a, a degree in accountancy in the offing or anything like that? No, I was, uh, I was taking, by the end, I dropped out, I didn't graduate, and by the end I was so disillusioned by college that I was just taking random classes. I mean, literally, I was, like, I would take uh, Japanese Shinto religion and then, like, history of costumes. (laughs) You know, I was was taking random classes just to try to get me motivated because I was just very disillusioned by college. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, which is probably the reason I went up on stage, looking back on it, because... I think at some point, most of the people that become comedians, you've got to bottom out in your life. You have to have nothing. 
you know. Yeah. It's usually people that go through a divorce and, you know, and they they just have nothing left, so they just get on stage, you know, and I, I yeah. think that's the point I was at. Hmm. And, uh, but then, you know, how quickly did you feel yourself going in the, in the other direction then, or did it take time to do that, or did you, did you see any kind of results quickly? I, um, I, I probably went about it the dumbest way you could possibly do it. I think I, I had been on stage five times around that area, about five times. I had not gotten a laugh and I was working at a movie theater at the time and, uh, I had dropped out of college, but I was planning on going back to college. I dropped out for a semester and, um, and then I, I'd been on stage five, maybe six times. And I quit my job at the movie theater and then uh, gave away, I had a yard sale, sold everything I owned and lived in my car and just drove around mainly the Southeast going to open mics. And I would, you know, try to get on stage as much as I could. And then when I ran out of money, um, I would get a job washing dishes at Denny's or something. Hmm. And then, and then work for like two weeks, get a paycheck and then quit and, and get back and drive around the Southeast. You know, I'd go from Virginia to Florida and then over to Louisiana and up to Tennessee, just anywhere that I had heard, you know, such and such club has an open mic on Monday night. And then I would, I would just drive up there and sign up and go up and fail (laughs) and and then get my car and, and sleep in a Walmart parking lot. And, you know, for a while I had a campsite that I was sleeping at in Georgia up in the woods whenever I wasn't, you know, like had a couple of days without an, without a show. And I just kept doing that until eventually, you know, I, uh, started getting paid a little $20 or that kind of thing. And, you know, it was, it was really an obsession. It was like an addiction to me. And I think just strictly because I had nothing else in my life. There was no, nothing else to look forward to. Uh. I had no other goals. So I just grabbed hold of that and held on to it and dove into it head first, you know? Uh, you did that for Which quite is, a while too, didn't you? Uh, do what? You did that for, for quite, you did it for a couple of years, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing that for several years and, you know, I don't know total. I mean, I, I did it for probably three or four years cause I would get a place in the winter. I would get an apartment or, or sleep on a friend's couch or something cause it's just too cold. Oh yeah. You know, to really live in your car in the winter and then, as soon as it warmed up, I'd be gone. And, you know, it's probably the dumbest. I would never suggest that to a, a young yeah. comic, but it might've been the only way that I was going to actually do it. It was yeah. to force myself to do that, you know? Yeah. Now, more, most recently you were on the sick of stupid, uh, comedy tour. And I talked to your buddy Clifton cash, uh, about that when you guys were in town. And, um, I was saying, yeah, that's an interesting show because Tom's, you know, pretty political and then Clifton's got you know his uh, observations as I recall you're you're kind of more into science do I remember that correctly yeah I mean I think the the tour the tour was much more successful than we thought it was going to be to be honest um, we did it you know for two, we were gonna, we have a somebody that's interested in it in the business to send them a tape you know but we ended up selling a lot of tickets and I think the three of us work well together because Tom is, Tom is the type of guy that, you know, Ted Cruz will say something 
and Tom will immediately spend the rest of the day writing 20 jokes on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a great joke writer. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Cliff is, uh, is, is very natural on stage, and he's left, politically left. And, yep. And I am too, but uh, mine is more philosophy-based stuff. You know, the, the show that I'm doing right now, which is, like you said, an, an arc, an over, you know, an entire piece that has one arc to it. It's about, um, you know, this human uh, issue of we, we don't deal well with new ideas, you know, we have this monkey-like behavior of, of, you know, avoiding any new ideas that are presented to us, and and the more extreme, uh, kill it. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Kill scientists. So, you know, I'm doing a show right now that's about an hour long, and it is, it's going from BC to 2013, of a, historical examples of you know, humans killing new ideas, people that come up with new ideas, uh, literally assassinating them from BC to 2013. And, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not political as in, you know, uh, Chris Christie jokes or something like that, uh, Ted Cruz jokes, but it is political as, uh, you know, in, in the world of philosophy, you know? Yeah. So what kind of example of, of idea killing, uh, can you, could you share? Like what, what, what kind of things are you talking about? Um, what's fascinating to me is I, when I came up with this idea, um, I, I, I knew, you know, a lot of them that a lot of people know, like Galileo, he wasn't killed, but, you know, he went through a lot of persecution for... Had, had a rough time. You know, for, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to find out just how... Eh, I wanted to find out just how widespread this this idea of historical assassinations is, you know, so BC, we can go back. To, the earliest one I found is the Greeks. The Greeks, uh, believe that the entire world, the mass world was based on rational numbers, you know? Um, and then Hippasus, a Greek mathematician proved that the square root of two is an irrational number. Uh, like pi, pi is an irrational number, yeah. you know, like 3.14, it goes on forever. Right. The Greeks didn't think that irrational numbers existed. They thought that all numbers were rational. Hippocrates oh. proved that the square root of two was irrational, so they drowned him. <laughs> <laughs> With, they, I don't exactly. know what that's funny, but... <laughs> to me, it's hilarious. It's yeah. tragedy. It's like, you know, the old comedy and tragedy mass. Right, right. Usually together. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, and for some reason, stand-up comedy has eliminated the tragedy part and just concentrated on the comedy part. But this act I'm doing, this show I'm doing now, is there's a lot of tragedy in it, but I think it's funny, you know? Yeah. Because drowning a guy for proving the square root of two is irrational didn't stop the square root of two from being irrational. That's true. You know, and that's my point, is when ideas, when someone presents something to us that we don't like, violence isn't helping the situation, you know? So we oh, go no. BC and there's a bunch of them uh, early in history. You know, there was a medical doctor named Reeses that uh, he compiled all the known medical knowledge that he could find. He compiled it in one book and gave the book to doctors and a court ordered, convicted him of heresy and ordered him beaten with his own book. Oh, jeez. 
<laughs> I know. It's just ludicrous behavior. And then, you know, Alan Turing is a current one, 1952. Okay, I was going to say current example. Yeah, Alan Turing, uh, you know, one of the 20 greatest mathematicians that ever lived, and, uh, but he was a homosexual. Oh, know? that's so right, yeah, was, yeah, there's a documentary about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, fascinating guy, yeah. Um, you know, and then my, the most current one that I'm using in my show is 2013, Dr. this guy named Dr. Narinda Dakar, um, was a medical doctor from India and actually was a social worker towards the end of his life. And he went around India giving speeches, telling people if someone claims something, as in someone claims you're possessed by Satan, and if you give them money, then they will remove Satan from your body. Uh, he went around speeches saying, if someone claims this, ask for evidence first. Yeah. And he he was shot and killed. Oh, geez. Yeah. Wow. So... I think it's a it's a trait. It's a human behavior. If someone comes up to us, oh yeah, with any kind any kind of idea that we don't like, our natural instinct is to to shut them up, you know, to yeah. make them stop. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And the extreme uh, amongst us will will kill them. You know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. You see that playing out in the election at all, uh, or in politics in general these days? With things like just with the issues you know, of the day, am I following it? Is no, that what you said? No, with the issues of the day, do you see like politicians reacting, you know, that way with whether it's you know global warming or banks too big to fail or just any you know? Oh any, yeah, I mean I think it's, I think it's still around, and I think it's, uh, you know, the the state and the church no longer legally kill kill people in this country. Yeah, you know, legally, but. The impulse is still there. I think the hatred, the all the denying, the science deniers, you know. I mean, I have a joke. The whole show starts with a joke, which actually happened. That I was on a plane, and a guy was reading the paper next to me, and the headline of the paper said, Texas flooding, global warming. And it had a question mark at the end of global warming. Yeah. And this guy on the plane's just, you know, he showed me the paper, and he's just, Furious, and he goes, "Global warming is a big liberal lie," you know. And then he got so extreme with it; it was just ludicrous. He said, "Every tax dollar spent on science is a waste of money." And then he said, uh, "Science ain't never done one thing for one human ever." <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm thinking, we're on a plane. <laughs> I mean, That's hilarious. Crazy, yeah. But, wow. and, you know, and I have, I mean, my kind of my point throughout the whole show is, uh, you know, I don't know, like I say this in one of my jokes in the show, I I don't know if our activity is affecting global warming. I'm not a scientist, you know. Yeah. I've read a lot of evidence, and it seems pretty overwhelming. But I'm not, I'm certainly not going to listen to a guy who hates science who's wearing bifocals, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's funny. And, but and I think that's a... I think that's a big thing. I, I really do think that this world and human beings have the potential to make a, to create an amazing world. And I think this, this knee-jerk reaction to want to shut other people's ideas up is one of the things that's holding us back. Well, it's maintaining the status quo. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And people have a vested interest in seeing that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. 
Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, this show, I mean, it's certainly, it does, you know, on the surface, it doesn't sound funny. You know, the, this doesn't sound like comedy. And then, and I'm, you know, I've gotten a ton of jokes in it. And, but still, there are people that get up and walk out. They don't want to hear it. And, you know, and it, it, to me, when it happens, I, I just, in my head, I, I think, well, there you go. I mean, all I'm doing is yeah. presenting an idea. And you don't want to listen to it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I was going to say, hopefully most people are will be uh, down with the idea of Stuart Huff comedy and, and the ideas. Um, and I think in Minneapolis, I think you've been there before, though, so it's you, you, you wouldn't have any problem there, I imagine. People people know what time it is with Stuart Huff in Minneapolis. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those things where if I've been to a town before, like I'm, I'm actually going to St. Paul where, you know, right across the river. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the joke joint. Yeah. And I've been to St. Paul now. I've I've done that club four or five times, and and there are people that come out to see me, and they know what I do. Yeah. So they might not. And I have people all the time, and this is one of my favorite things that happens: is people will come up to me and say, "I didn't agree with everything you said, but boy, you said it in a really entertaining way, and it gave me a lot of things to think about." I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's well, one of my favorite the, compliments. I was going to say that's got to be very satisfying. Well. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate taking the time today, man. This is really a lot of fun, and uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll catch you again here sin- down in Cincinnati sometime soon as well. And, and, and as always, this will be in City Pages uh, in print and online the week you're up there in Minneapolis, so you can check that out. And, um, and Cool. I'll sit- actually be at Go Bananas. I think it's the last week of April. Oh, great. Oh, we more ink uh, then, and we'll kill two birds with one stone, as it were. And, um, yeah, yeah, awesome. Then I'll, uh, we'll come and check you out. Maybe it's my birthday week. I'll come out for my, uh, for my birthday week there at the end of April. Excellent! Awesome, Happy man. birthday! We'll do great. some we'll do some birthday comedy. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. All right, all right, man. Well, great talking to you again. Yeah, you too. All Thank right. you so much. All right, good luck up in Minneapolis or St. Paul. Yeah. All right, bye, sir. Thanks again to Stuart Uff for being on the show. You can catch Stuart in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, February 26th and 27th at the Level 2 Comedy Club, and in St. Paul, March 3rd through March 5th at the Joke Joint Comedy Club. And for all things Stuart Huff, go to stuarthuff.net. Let me double-check that. Yes, stuarthuff.net. Stuart is the standard spelling, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. I don't know if that's actually standard or not. Maybe the S-T-U-A-R-T is the standard spelling. Who can say? All right, don't feel like doing the credits. You can go back and listen to an old episode if you want to know who did the original music and who designed the logo and all that. It was uh, my nephew-in-law, Dan Coble, designed the logo. We'll give him some credit there. And um, the song of the week, we are up to the song of the week, is from a group called Eliza and the Bear. They are uh, ostensibly from London. Their debut album is coming out. They have an EP out. Now, Radio 1 in London has been all over these guys, and uh, they have been playing their single, It Gets Cold. However... Uh, the single It Gets Cold is available in America. It, however, the electric version, which is the one Radio 1 has been playing, I could not find in iTunes. All I could find was the acoustic version. But I think I like the acoustic version even better. And these guys, you know, uh, folky, rocky, Mumford & Sons-ish uh, type of situation, which I think you're going to dig. Again, uh, their debut album, I believe, comes out in April, according to their Facebook page. They are currently touring over in the UK. Hopefully, we'll be coming to North America this year as well. And this is Eliza the Bear with our song of the week. It gets cold on PF Tape Recorder, the acoustic version. Uh, the It's cold acoustic. PF Tape Recorder is not acoustic. 
So long and thanks for listening. I've been wearing these clothes on my back since I grew old. Went outside my window, they thousands of stones. I can't take any one of them home, cause I gotta leave this all behind. I've been walking the floors of this house since it grew cold. The creaking doors, the windows and walls. And I can't swim through a river that don't flow, cause I got too much water to